This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today, we're continuing our look at soft tissue infections, and we're going to focus on abscess in today's podcast. An abscess develops following the entry of bacteria into the layers of skin, usually through a portal of entry like a wound. An inflammatory response then occurs with recruitment of cytokines and neutrophils to the area, then phagocytosis of bacteria occurs, and then you have liquefactive necrosis and edema that set in. A fibrous capsule develops that surrounds the cellular debris and the necrotic neutrophils. This fibrous capsule is typically surrounded by erythema and induration. If the erythema and induration spread beyond the margin of the abscess, then you have cellulitis. As that overlying tissue thins because of necrosis, patients may have spontaneous rupture of the abscess with drainage. There are a variety of different bacterial pathogens that can result in cellulitis or abscess. The most common microbe involved in an abscess is Staphylococcus aureus. A significant proportion of these cases can be due to methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus or MRSA. Beta-hemolytic streptococcal species account for less than 5% of all abscesses. Patients with injection drug use-related abscesses often have polymicrobial infections, which might include oral streptococci and even anaerobic species. Let's talk a little bit about MRSA. MRSA can be classified as either healthcare-associated MRSA or community-acquired MRSA. Healthcare-associated MRSA is defined as a MRSA infection occurring greater than 48 hours after hospitalization or an infection occurring within 12 months of healthcare exposure. Risk factors include prolonged hospital stays, prior MRSA colonization, ICU admission, antibiotic use, chronic wounds or ulcers, hemodialysis, and discharge to a nursing care facility. Community-acquired MRSA is an infection occurring with no healthcare exposure. This is more frequently associated with abscesses and purulent cellulitis in young, healthy patients, and it has been increasingly prevalent since the 1990s. MRSA has several unique attributes that increase its ability to cause infection. It frequently colonizes the nose, the oropharynx, even the rectum, the groin, and the axillary region. This increases the risk of subsequent infection. MRSA also can produce a biofilm on invasive devices, which can actually enhance survival and microbial reproduction. Community-acquired MRSA strains also possess genes for production of the Pantin-Valentine leukocytin cytotoxin, which can increase the microbe's virulence. Let's look at the history and examination. We already covered a little bit about this in the Cellulitis podcast. Your history is going to be pretty similar to patients with cellulitis. You're going to be looking for risk factors for poor wound healing and infection, evidence of local trauma, and then you're also going to be assessing their hemodynamic status. On exam, an abscess will appear fluctuant and indurated. Fluctuant means there's a boggy-like feeling, and indurated means firm and hardened. A patient may or may not have surrounding cellulitis over the affected area. 
Patients usually have significant tenderness with palpation over the abscess, and you might find expression of purulent material. Systemic symptoms like fevers, malaise, chills, and lymphadenopathy are unusual. If these are present, you need to think about bacteremia, sepsis, necrotizing infection, and lymphadenitis. When it comes to reevaluation, an abscess is a clinical diagnosis. Labs are usually nonspecific. You might find a leukocytosis, and there might be an elevation in ESR and CRP, but again, you don't need to obtain labs unless you're concerned about a severe infection or the patient is toxic appearing. If the patient is toxic appearing and you're concerned about bacteremia, then obtain blood cultures. The IDSA does not currently recommend obtaining routine skin swabs of cellulitis or infected ulcers. The IDSA does recommend obtaining a culture of the purulent material in patients with abscess. However, we know the predominant cause. That's usually MRSA or some other form of Staphylococcus aureus. Culture of the purulent material in the ED setting is not really helpful, and we don't routinely do this or recommend it. When it comes to imaging, point-of-care ultrasound can be a big help here. A recent meta-analysis found that POCUS was over 94% sensitive and over 85% specific for differentiating cellulitis from an abscess. Ultrasound can also help you identify the preferred location to perform an incision and drainage, and it can also help you avoid incising a pseudoaneurysm or an area with blood flow. On ultrasound, an abscess will appear as a mass with heterogeneous hypoechoic debris that is usually just beneath the skin surface layer. If you push on the abscess cavity with the ultrasound probe, you typically will see swirling of that heterogeneous material. If there's surrounding cellulitis, you'll see that cobblestone appearance of the surrounding tissue. That's due to presence of subcutaneous fluid separating hyperechoic fat lobules. Let's get to management. The treatment choice for abscess is incision and drainage. The best two choices are a single incision and drainage or a loop drainage technique. Needle drainage only has a bunch of issues with it. One study found that providers were successful in obtaining purulent material in only 40% of cases with needle drainage, even with the use of ultrasound. There are also significantly worse outcomes with the use of needle drainage compared to standard IND. We're going to cover a standard IND as well as the loop drainage technique. For the standard IND, first prepare the surface of the abscess and the surrounding skin with a cleaning agent like chlorhexidine. Then use sterile towels and drape around the abscess. Next, use lidocaine to perform a field block with a 25 gauge needle. Inject the lidocaine in a ring around the abscess, approximately one centimeter peripheral to the border of the abscess cavity. Do not inject local anesthetics directly into the abscess. Abscesses are acidic, which will cause lidocaine to lose effectiveness, and this will significantly increase the patient's pain. Once you've injected your local anesthetic, wait around five minutes for the anesthetic to take effect. Before you incise, make sure to use PPE to avoid self-contamination. Once you're ready to cut, make a linear incision with a number 11 or 15 scalpel deep enough to penetrate the abscess. Cut the entire length of the abscess. Try to follow the Langer lines of the skin to reduce tension on the wound during healing 
and that will also improve the cosmetic appearance once it's actually healed. If you don't make a wide enough incision, that means there could be inadequate drainage of the abscess cavity. Once you've reached the abscess cavity, purulent material will start to drain. Make sure to have some gauze on hand to catch the drainage. Then gently probe the abscess with curved hemostats to break up any loculations. Following these steps, the management becomes a little bit more controversial when it comes to irrigation and packing. Irrigation can lead to a longer procedure time, increased pain, and greater risk of microbiological contamination to the provider. Literature suggests that irrigation does not affect cure rates, and so at this time, it's not routinely recommended. Packing is more controversial. One study of 48 adults compared packing with open drainage and found no difference in treatment failure. However, the packing group had higher pain scores and greater use of opioids. Another study of pediatric patients also found no difference in failure rates. However, both of these were pilot studies and they were underpowered to identify differences in outcomes. Smaller abscesses like those less than 5 centimeters in diameter probably don't need packing, but for larger abscesses, it may be reasonable to pack these. If packing material is warranted, then insert the packing with hemostats or forceps. Make sure to dress the wound with sterile gauze and then tape. The patient should be told to keep the wound clean, dry, and covered. The packing should be removed every one to two days. If they feel comfortable repacking it, then they can do that at home or they can return for a recheck in a couple days. The loop drainage technique is a relatively newer strategy for managing abscesses. If you're going to do this technique, make two small incisions at opposite margins of the abscess. You can then break up loculations with a hemostat and then place a vessel loop through the abscess. The ends are then tied over the abscess to create a loop. Patients should slide that loop back and forth each day which will help with drainage, and then the loop can be easily cut and removed once the abscess has begun to resolve. When it comes to outcomes compared with standard IND, the loop technique has a significantly lower failure rate. It's also less painful and actually preferred by patients. The other component of therapy includes antibiotics. While antibiotics are commonly used in cellulitis, their role in abscess is a little bit less clear. One large meta-analysis found that adjunctive antibiotics reduced treatment failure by half. They also found a significant reduction in new lesion formation when antibiotics were used in patients with abscess. Overall, there appears to be a number needed to treat a 14 to prevent one treatment failure when it comes to using antibiotics in patients with abscess. However, you have to balance this against the risk of adverse events and the potential for antimicrobial resistance. In that meta-analysis, there was an increase in adverse events with antibiotics. Most of these were mild, and there was no difference in the incidence of C. diff colitis. When it comes down to it, consider using antibiotics in patients with surrounding cellulitis if they have multiple abscesses, they have systemic symptoms, or they're immunocompromised. Your best choices include trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, or clindamycin. Let's finish with disposition. Most patients are going to be appropriate for discharge. They should follow up in two days for a wound check. Patients can soak the abscess cavity in soap water to enhance drainage, but the data are limited. 
Patients who are significantly ill or toxic appearing, or if they require surgical intervention, will need to be admitted. In summary, an abscess is a collection of purulent material within the skin and soft tissue. This is a clinical diagnosis. Labs and imaging are not usually needed in managing an abscess. If you're unsure if there's an abscess present, then use ultrasound. The treatment of choice is IND, and you could also use the loop drainage technique. Antibiotics do have a role in key patient populations, especially those with surrounding cellulitis. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.